0: Good morning again, San Marino Community Church. I'm Lindsay Anderson Beck. I am the interim director of youth ministries here, though for not much longer. So many of you know, I've been in the ordination process for the PCUSA church, the Presbyterian church. um, And I recently completed all the requirements and have just accepted a call to serve a church as their associate pastor in New Jersey. And so I'm wrapping up my last few weeks with you here. Um, And I wanted to take an opportunity to just say thank you. Thank you, San Marino Community Church, for your warm welcome to me and my husband, Will. Thank you for entrusting me with the care of your youth. Thank you, youth, for the joy and the laughter, for what you've taught me, for your questions. It's been a real privilege and an honor to journey with you, um, especially in this really difficult season of COVID-19. And so I wanna say thank you. We are really gonna miss you. Um, So I had hoped that my last sermon here at San Marino would be an opportunity to share something with you that I care deeply about. Now I hadn't bargained for a scripture passage that involved a lot of weeping and gnashing of teeth, But thankfully, I do believe that God has an invitation for us this morning from the scriptures um, and a a pivotal question for us. Um, This is a question that we can't just provide Sunday school answers to. Um, It's a question that really demands something of us. And that question is, are we going to say yes to Jesus' invitation to follow him with our whole lives? You know, we live in a culture that doesn't always like to respond decisively to invitations. I would say we live in kind of a maybe culture. For those of you who are around my age and grew up with Facebook as it was developing, um, I know all the high schoolers and middle schoolers just kind of tuned me out because Facebook is apparently not cool anymore. Um, But there was always this feature of Facebook events um, when I was in high school, that was the thing that you used to get the word out about a party. Um, and I hosted a lot of fire pit parties and outdoor movie nights at my house. So I was very well adept at these Facebook events. The thing that always shocked me about them is that the category for the maybes in those RSVPs, the maybes was a huge category. The yeses and the noes, not so much. And what that said to me was... Maybe I'll be there so long as something better doesn't come along, right? This is a sense of not wanting to commit, not wanting to shut down other options, because what if something better came along? Sometimes we're simply a no culture, Take, for example, this geographical location that we live in, Los Angeles. It's a sprawling metropolis. I have friends who are on online dating platforms, and when they see someone who lives in Santa Monica, they immediately just write off that option. That's not going to be a potential partner for them. It's just too far away. Or maybe you've had someone ask if, they'll, if you'll drive them to LAX in the middle of rush hour. And you have to have that kind of awkward conversation and say, it's, it's just not going to happen. There are these impediments to events, to invitations, to connection, to relationships. We're also just a busy, overachieving demographic. It takes a lot to convince us that an event, an invitation, a relationship is going to be worth our time We guard our freedom and our options so jealously, right? I think this busy, maybe, no culture actually gets in the way of our saying yes to the most important invitation of our life. It gets in the way of our saying yes to the invitation of God to follow Jesus, We are continuing in our sermon series this morning in the book of Matthew. And so let's listen for Jesus' invitation to us from Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 to 14. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, "'The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son.' He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves saying, tell those who have been invited, look, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready, come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business while the rest seized the slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burnt their city. Then he said to the slaves, The wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet." Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. I think we're gonna need a little prayer for this one. Would you pray with me? Loving God, I thank you that you do have a word to speak to us this morning by your Holy Spirit and through your scriptures. Lord, I pray that you would challenge us, that you would help us to think about our lives, to find ourselves in this story, that those who need to be comforted this morning would be comforted. God, I pray you would open our ears and our minds and our hearts to hear from you as you speak to us. Pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, in our story this morning, Jesus is addressing them, those chief priests and Pharisees who we've been talking about in the past couple sermons. These are the people in power, the religious leaders who represent Israel, They're the faithful churchgoers of their day, so to speak. The good, upright people who keep their noses clean and pay their taxes and hang out with the right people. Perhaps a people not too different from you and me. And Jesus is telling them an encoded version of their story. It goes something like this. The king, that's God, threw a banquet he summoned the people of Israel, you particular ones who have been chosen since the time of Abraham. And you said, no, you had better things to do. So he sent his servants, those are the Old Testament prophets and John the Baptist and Jesus, to beg, to plead, to invite them again to come. But, but you snubbed them, wanting to continue uninterrupted with your own life. Some of you abused and actually killed them. So he burned your house down. As a brief note about that last line, the original audience of this parable would not have been surprised by the violence in this story the way that we are. This was how the king operated. If you diss the king, he burns your house down. And this reference to burning your house down or leveling your city, whatever your translation says, according to commentators, is actually an allusion to a real historical event. And that's the destruction of the temple, that center of worship for the Jewish people in Jerusalem. The temple's destruction was the devastating result of the failure of Jerusalem's leadership. The destruction was the consequence of them choosing their own agenda above God's. So perhaps the leveling of the city in this story and their destruction is simply a consequence of these guests' choice to be apart from the creative one. When my husband and I were getting married, we hemmed and hawed over the guest list. We wanted a small kind of intimate wedding ceremony. And it was also really painful to say that some of our friends who we loved could not come. So it felt like a huge relief when we finally whittled it down to just under a hundred people when we had sent out the invitation and received the RSVPs and we just knew who was gonna be there each and every person had been hand selected. And then we poured over the seating chart and we put them all in their places and we created name tags for them. And then we waited with eager anticipation for the day of our wedding where we could celebrate with all of these people who we loved. I remember on that day, peeking out of the bathroom window um, where I was hiding in my wedding dress and getting so excited at seeing these people who I knew by name and who I loved so much as they arrived. And you know, it wasn't until we were sitting down at the reception and I was kind of scanning the room that I realized that there was an empty chair at the table next to me. My friend, we'll call him Dan, had not shown up. He had assured me that he would move mountains to be there, that our wedding was the most important thing for him that weekend. And yet there was a glaringly empty chair His name tag was there, his plate was empty, his seat was empty. Anyone who's ever had a wedding, been to a wedding, or certainly paid for a wedding knows that this is such a faux pas. (laughs) And Will and I felt kind of betrayed. We were disappointed. We felt undervalued. We felt angry. Dan's words had communicated one thing to us, right? and his actions had communicated something else entirely. Now the invitation in our story this morning is an invitation to a much more important event than my wedding. It's for God's chosen people to come and join with God in the celebration of the kingdom of God to join in loving, obedient relationship with the author of creation. This is an amazing invitation. God has set out a banquet feast for his people, longing to welcome us into the joy and delight of the kingdom. God's own hand is outstretched toward them, toward you and toward me. And this is why the king's reaction to the people's rejection is so virulent the guests aren't saying no to any old party. They're saying no to God, their maker, their sustainer, their redeemer, their provider. They're choosing to live their own way, unwilling to admit any need, not wanting to be with God. Friends, notice here that it's not enough to have been invited or to have said yes to the save the date. No, God's invitation in this moment requires an active response, a moving towards God, an actual choice to show up to the party. God's pursuit of us, God's invitation to us requires our response. Now, the second part of our story involves a dramatic outward expansion of the invitation, right? This party is ready and the king is ready to feast. And so he sends his servants out into the streets to gather up anyone they can find to come and join him. And they do so indiscriminately. They gather the good and the bad together. Maybe you can imagine going down to the streets of downtown LA and rounding up The drug dealers, the celebrities, the people who live on the streets, the business people, the churchgoers. This is a mishmash, a radically inclusive group of people. This is often what Jesus' ministry gets him into trouble with, right? You know, throughout the Gospels, the Pharisees and the chief priests are asking him, why are you spending time with those people? Why do you eat with the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the sinners? This is the grace and the scandal of the gospel. It's open to the bad and the good, to outcasts and failures, to problem people and the unimpressive. And this group, unlike those original guests, this group responds without hesitation. They fill up the banquet hall. These guests apparently are not worthy because of their status or because they're good They're worthy because they respond to the urgency of the invitation as it's presented to them. They come without hesitation when God calls to them. Indeed, perhaps they come because they're aware of their own neediness. They're shocked, they're surprised that they've been invited to a royal banquet. And they're aware beyond a shadow of a doubt that they have nowhere else better to be. I wonder, is that you and me? Is answering God's call more important to us than our work or our business? Is it more important than building our own kingdoms? When we sense God inviting us into his way of radical inclusion and forgiveness and self-sacrifice, do we respond with a yes? Or do we ignore it because it's just not convenient or it's too challenging? Or do we say yes, but then we don't show up when it really matters? Or do we come for a drink and then slip out the back because we've got some more important things to do? Dallas Willard, philosopher and Christian spiritual formation guru, once wrote, grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude and effort is an action. Willard is saying that we cannot do anything to earn the invitation. Remember, it's offered indiscriminately. It's open to everyone, whatever you've done. But that offer of unmerited, free, lavish grace and welcome does not preclude us from needing to respond with a yes and then to actually show up with love and devotion and obedience. I think that some of us in the church fall into the trap of presuming upon God's grace, of thinking that since we're Christians, or since we've been baptized, or since we made a profession of faith at one point, we're all set. There's nothing else for us to do. But our faith doesn't simply have to do with forgiveness of sins. It's not a one-time acceptance of Jesus Christ into our hearts. It's not just life insurance to the future to make sure we know where we're going when we die. It's about participating in a journey of lifelong transformation that starts in the present and continues into eternity. It's about walking, journeying in newness of life with the one who offers us life to the full. Did you notice the words I just used? Participating, walking, journeying. These are active verbs, right? When we say yes to Jesus, it's not a one and done decision. It's a yes to a lifelong process of becoming more and more like Jesus in our thoughts, in our words, and in our actions. Grace is opposed to earning, But if you want to truly experience the offer of eternal life now, it certainly requires effort. Did you notice that there was one guy, one guest who gets expelled from the wedding celebration? It seems like where the rest of the guests maybe ran home and changed into some clean clothes, their wedding garments, or maybe borrowed clothes from a friend or a neighbor this guy showed up in his ratty, old, dirty work clothes. And I loved what Willow said at the beginning. It's important for us to remember that this is a parable and the moral of this story is not make sure you're wearing the right clothes to church or make sure you wear the right clothes to the next big party you're invited to. No, the point is that this guest was obviously unprepared in some way for the celebration. The symbolism here is of one who presumes on the free offer of salvation by assuming that there are therefore no obligations attached. Someone whose life belies their profession. They profess faith, but their lives don't reflect it. As the apostle Paul puts it in Romans 6, what then are we to say? Should we continue to sin in order that grace may abound? By no means, How can we who have died to sin go on living in it? He says, just as Jesus was buried and then raised to new life, so too our sin has been buried so that we might walk in newness of life. Elsewhere, he says that we are to take off the old self and to put on the new self. The wedding robe in our story symbolizes active preparation for the kingdom of God, doing justice, loving mercy, walking humbly with God. Wearing the wedding robe symbolizes a readiness to follow Jesus, to become a disciple of Jesus. This is what it means to have clothed ourselves in Christ, as Galatians 3 says. We don't presume upon God's grace. We wear it and we walk in it. Friends, certainly this parable is a warning for those of us who have ears to hear it. As is often the case in the gospel stories, Jesus' harshest words are for the self-righteous. Those chief priests and Pharisees who are his audience in our passage today. These are the people who profess faith and righteousness, but whose actions betray the real motives of their hearts. Perhaps in calling ourselves Christians, we protect ourselves from the recognition that we have become like those who claim the gift of God's grace without accepting any responsibility for it. This story serves as a warning that those who profess acceptance of God's invitation but don't put it into practice are unworthy of entering the banquet. Notice that it's the guests who by their own decisions exclude themselves. It's not the king. It's not God who causes the exclusion. The failure to seek a holy life, a life that truly follows the self-sacrificial and others-oriented way of Jesus is a failure to enter the kingdom of God. More than a warning though, this story is an invitation. For to be chosen according to Matthew depends not on our goodness or our badness, but upon our active and willing response to God's summons. Our invitation is to say yes to the gift of God's grace on a daily, hourly basis, to walk in newness of life, as we become more and more like Jesus, to submit to the authority of God over our life, instead of seeking our own way, our own kingdom, our own fulfillment. So the question for us becomes how? How do we say yes to Jesus's invitation to become disciples? How do we learn from Jesus how to lead our life as he would lead it if he were in our place? Well, the answer is actually pretty simple. The New Testament defines disciple as someone who is with Jesus, learning how to be more like him. We are to be learning from Jesus, how to lead our life, our whole life, our real life. That's our relationships, our jobs, our context, our community, our neighborhood here in San Marino this requires a decision, an intention, a resolve to do so. We need to resolve to be students of Jesus. So perhaps the first concrete step for you is simply to pray. Pray that God would give you a desire and a resolve to be with Jesus and to become like Jesus. And if you have already resolved to follow Jesus in your everyday life with all that you have, then can I urge you to do everything necessary to make that happen? Again, in Dallas Willard's words, you cannot drift into a life of constant companionship with Jesus any more than you can drift into a marriage. Soak in the gospel stories, Pray for the Holy Spirit's help to live your life the way Jesus would would if he woke up in your bed, if he walked in your shoes, if he loved your family and your neighbors, and if he worked your job. Listen to the life of Jesus. Learn from it. Seek to put it into practice. I'm going to encourage you to choose one concrete practice for your week ahead and just see what happens. So maybe it's something really simple. Maybe you resolve to pray the Lord's prayer the first thing in the morning when you wake up before you even check your phone, before you even get out of bed. When we say yes to Jesus' invitation to be with him and become like him, and when we refuse to devote our mental space and energy to the fruitless and degrading stuff that clamors for our attention all the time, then we will be liberated into life in the kingdom of God. Then we will have shown up to the banquet. Friends, God's grace is boundless and generous and inclusive. But for us to be worthy of God's gift requires nothing less than our whole lives. So may we be a people who say yes with our words, our thoughts, and our actions to God's daily, hourly invitations to come and join the party. Amen.